remember, and where we're headed this morning, just so you know, at the end of our service today, we'll be celebrating what we call the Lord's Table, Lord's Supper, Communion, whatever, whatever title you want to give it. The real point of it is to remember Christ and what He's done in our lives. You know, I often wonder what my neighbors think of, of me. Because it's not uncommon in the mornings whenever I leave my house, um, you know, get the kids out for school and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I get myself all set for the day and I go out to my car, go out to the Jeep and I get in there and I remember, oh, forgot something. So I jump out and I go back inside, okay, and I'm gone for a couple seconds and I come back out and put something down. And I think, oh, I forgot that as well. It is not uncomfortable to go back and forth out of my house or at the office or wherever several times. Do you have a problem with this? It's like I just forget so many things. And I'm sure if my neighbors are watching, first of all, they're really bored. They probably ought not to be watching me out the window, but they're bored. But they probably think I'm really strange. Back and forth, back and forth. And it's just so consistent. And some of you are going to come afterwards, you're going to say, Lord, this is what you need to do. You need to make a list of everything you need and put it at your door. I've tried all that. It doesn't help. I still forget everything. It's kind of comical. Now, as funny as that may be, I remember my mother, before she died, lost her ability to remember anything. And that wasn't funny at all. It's funny. Memory is a strange thing. When you have it, it's appreciated. When it's gone, it breaks your heart. Walking back from a, in a field, my mom, early on when Alzheimer's was just starting, and my mom said to me, and as far as I would know, I'm the first person that she actually admitted this was happening. She said, Nikki, that's what she used to call me, I don't know what's going on. I just forget things. Things that I should have never forget. And I said, yeah, I know, Mom, I know. And she said, I'm afraid someday I'm going to forget your name. And she did. She did. Before she left, she didn't know who any of us were. Memory is a funny thing. It's very important to us, right? We're going to see in our passage today that Jesus is going to call for us to remember something. And He's going to make a strong point that we need to remember him and bring things into our life that allow us to remember him because in life it is very easy to forget things to forget important things to get so distracted by things that we forget what is important it's interesting that this morning in our folks group, Daniel went to Deuteronomy, because I wanted to sort of open with there. You don't need to turn there. But the fifth book of your Old Testament is called Deuteronomy. It means the second law. And it is, it is God speaking through Moses to the children of Israel before they go into the promised land. And it's like there's one more affirmation. God says to his people, are you going to follow me? Are you going to follow me? As we go into the promised land, are you going to follow me? And what strikes me about it as you, as you read through Deuteronomy, there's, there's uh, 31 chapters, I believe it is, the number of times that the word remember comes up. I think I have it on the screen here for you. Just the different things that, that Moses calls for the children of Israel to remember. Remember, 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 remember. 
Even the Ten Commandments are given there in Deuteronomy. Let me read to you the commandment about the Sabbath, at least the end of it. This is Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. It says, the Lord says, through Moses, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. As Exodus says, remember the Sabbath. We are so prone to forgetting. Really, it's being distracted. Even the children of Israel, when they went into the promised land, we see there, as, as you go through the book of Joshua and the Judges, they didn't do what God called them to do. They didn't remember. We're in Luke chapter 22. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke, and we're up to Luke chapter 22. We're at a significant time here in the, the, the end of the story of Jesus, a true story, a, a true narrative of, of Jesus coming. We're in Luke chapter 22, and, and really, as John 13 says, we have it up here on, the, on, this, on this banner, that Jesus, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. That's John 13, 1. And what he's calling to is to not forget who he is and what he has done. It reminds me of Psalm 103, verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. We must remember Christ. Go to Luke chapter 22. Let me start reading at verse number 1 here for a little bit. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put Jesus to death. For they feared the people. Now what we're going to see here, we're going to, we're going to work on remembering the truth about the Old Covenant. When you, when you see the Feast of Unleavened Bread and, and Passover, we're looking at part of the Old Covenant. This is the, the, the law that God gave to Moses for the children of Israel to live out. And it was all about, really, them keeping God at the center in their life. And all that that entailed. And right now, here in Jerusalem, we are at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There were three most important feasts in the Jewish calendar. Three times that you, if the Jewish man, if you were a Jewish man in that culture, were commanded to travel back to Jerusalem. And this is one of those, at the Passover. You were to come back to Jerusalem. So the city now is filled with people. It's filled with the faithful Jewish people who are doing what God commanded and they're traveling back to Jerusalem. And this, the Passover is a time that is filled with remembering that God had delivered the children of Israel from the bondage of slavery. That's what it's all about. And so the Romans understand this. And that's why it is that Pontius Pilate is in town. Jerusalem was not the center of the Roman world. It wasn't the center of the Roman area that Pontius Pilate even had oversight over. But he's there in Jerusalem. Why? Because it's Passover. And there's the potential of problem. King Herod is there as well. He didn't center his life out of Jerusalem, but he's there. And in just a few hours and few days, Jesus is going to be standing before these very men who thought they were there to accomplish their plan. But in reality, God brought them there. Because his son, Jesus Christ, will be found guilty of crimes he never committed to die for sins that he never experienced, he never lived. So we're there in the Passover, and you see that the religious leaders hate him. And they want to kill him. 
And what we're beginning to see here as we go through this is they're all gathering for Passover. They're gathering for this feast of the unleavened bread. And it's just not enough. The old covenant, we're going to see in just a little bit, was more needed. We needed a superior covenant. So let's just jump down. I want to skip over 3 through 6 and go to verse 7. I want, to, I want to read here a little bit and get an idea of what's happening. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John and said, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? And he gave them instruction. Let me, let me explain to you what's happening. You see, Passover was, was typically a family celebration. You fathers, you'd be called to lead your family in the celebration of Passover. And there was, a, there was really a, a strict set of, of rules, of almost regu- a ritual that you would lead your family through. And these Jewish men, Peter and John and, and Jesus, the, these men and all the disciples, they had lived this all their life. And so now they arrive in Jerusalem, and they don't have a family, they have the apostles, they have the disciples. And so Jesus says to Peter and John, go prepare for us the Passover. Here's what that meant. That meant they were to go and buy a lamb. It should be inspected. They take it to the temple. It's killed. They offer the blood as a sacrifice. They bring the carcass back to their home. They roast it, and they eat it. That's what that means. When he says prepare the Passover. So Peter and John, they go off. And they take care of this task. They say, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? And Jesus says, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. A very uncommon thing in that day, by the way. Women carried jars, not men. This is a unique situation. When you see him, follow him into the house that he enters. And tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room, furnished. Prepare it there. And so what Peter and John would do is gather the necessary elements that they would need to celebrate the Passover. They need the lamb. They need wine. They need unleavened bread. They need bitter herbs. And there they are, gathered, waiting, really, for Jesus to arrive. At notice, a secret location... Because we're going to see in just a minute that Judas is desiring to, be, to betray him. So they're off in this secret area and they're going to celebrate the Passover. Now for us, the Passover is just this Old Testament idea. We don't really understand it. What is it really about? And I don't know that we can fully grasp, really, the immensity of this concept in the Jewish mindset. I don't think we can get there. But I want to help you a little bit, okay? I want to show you just a quick video clip from, I think, a group of people that did an outstanding job of showing us the meaning of Passover. And this is my favorite cartoon in all the world, okay? It's called The Prince of Egypt. Let's watch two minutes as we look at the Passover scene. God has come to me again saying, take a lamb and with its blood mark the lintel and posts of every door. 
For tonight, I shall pass through the land of Egypt and smite all the firstborn. But when I see the blood upon your door, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not enter. Passover. Now this had been celebrated by these very Jewish people for over 1,400 years. They've been held in bondage to Egypt. And God delivered them from that bondage. Not through a powerful leader, not through a great military act, through the work of God, the supernatural work of God. He had delivered them from the bondage of slavery. And they celebrated this as commanded by the Lord. Now we need to understand some things about this, and and it really helps us understand the, the truth of the Old Covenant. Nobody was ever, nobody ever experiences eternal life, let's say it that way, because of the spilling of blood of an animal. That doesn't that doesn't bring us salvation. No one was ever saved because of the death of an animal. But God had them go through this process. I mean, literally thousands of times. So they would see the truth that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And also see the truth that in our place, there had to be one who would take our punishment And so in a foreshadowing event, God brought them the gift of grace of seeing the Passover. And they were passed over because a lamb shed its blood for them. They were passed over and did not experience death. Now we need to know that all along for that 1,400 years, God was just simply looking past their sin because of their faith in Him, and quite honestly, storing up that wrath, God storing up His wrath towards sinful man, 
that he would one day pour on his son, Jesus Christ, who 1 Corinthians 5 says is our Passover lamb. So the old covenant, as much as it pointed to God, as much as it pointed to the need of grace, as much as it pointed to the need for substitutionary atonement, one dying in the place of another, it did not, it was not enough. And so we move forward in our our understanding of Luke chapter 22 to our next point for today. We saw this truth of the old covenant, and that is to remember the cost of this new covenant, and it starts with betrayal. That's verse 3. The cost of this new covenant begins with betrayal. Then then Satan entered Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. One of Jesus' inner circle here betrays him. Judas, before this event, was quite honestly a very common name. You don't meet too many people named Judas anymore. It's known now as a betrayer because it was the ultimate betrayal. As this follower of Jesus, not really, John chapter 13 makes it very clear that Judas never put his trust in Christ. I have no reason to believe that Judas is in heaven today. He ended his miserable life by taking his own life because of this very event And Satan enters him now. He went away and he he went, that is, Satan entered Judas, and he went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray Jesus to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray Jesus to them in the absence of the crowd. We see your betrayal. And we need to understand the truth of John 1, 11, and 12. That betrayal has been the way of man regarding God for all of time. Jesus came to his own, his own received him not. But to all who received him, he gave the right to be called children of God. So the, the bringing of the new covenant into our lives required betrayal. Not just of Judas but of the creatures of God, the ones that God made. As Jesus entered Jerusalem and wept over Jerusalem and said, I long to gather you to my side. And those very people would shout with all of their might, crucify him, crucify him. The new covenant was very costly. Very costly. And it started with betrayal. We jump now down to verse number 14. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at a table and his apostles with him. We know that soon in this sort of chronology of events, Judas is going to leave. But he's in the room at this point. Okay? And Jesus said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. That word, earnestly desired, is actually, I desire desiringly. He uses a very strong term to speak of Jesus. He's been looking forward to this moment. For how long? Since he got in Jerusalem that morning? No. Since he started out a year ago in Luke chapter 9, moving towards Jerusalem? No. Since the the day that he came to earth, has that always been desiring this? No. All the way back to the Passover and since the foundations of the earth, Christ longed for this time 
when the new covenant that we take for granted so much and forget it all the time was coming to place. He desires it. For I tell you, he says, I will not eat it, speaking of the Passover, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. In this moment, what's going to happen, when very shortly, we're, right after where we're at here, Jesus is going to end the Old Testament rituals. And this is, we cannot underestimate the significance of this event. With this new covenant coming, all the rituals and the feast and the Passover and the sacrificial system and, and all the, the ceremonial law and the, the sacrificial law and the dietary law, all those things, they don't really end, but their time of, of living out transitions now and is fulfilled through Christ in the new covenant in us, His church. And it will later be fulfilled with all of Israel. This is a very, very significant moment. And Jesus here says, I will not celebrate the Passover again until we are in the kingdom. Now that's kind of interesting. You know what that means? Ezekiel chapter 48 makes it very clear that we will celebrate the Passover in the kingdom of God. In the millennial kingdom. Now, we won't look back at the deliverance of bondage from slavery in Egypt. That's not what we will do. We will look back to the cross of Christ. And we will celebrate that Jesus is our Passover with Christ. This is why we no longer celebrate the Passover. This is why. Now we celebrate In another way, looking forward to this time and looking back at what Christ has done. But we must remember the cost. And so he goes through more of the cost. And after he took, and that is, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. Let me say a word about the Passover. There's four cups in the Passover. Four glasses, cups of wine. Okay, this is the first one. Luke's the only one of the gospel writers that mentioned this first cup. He's not, this is not the communion cup yet, okay? But it says, take this, divide it among yourselves. This is, in the Passover celebration, this was a cup of thankfulness. And the Father would just thank the Lord for all of his family, for the blessings that they have in their life. They have the fruit of the vine, and they're thankful for the fruit that they are, in God, and they thank the Lord with their family, and Jesus does that here, and they all partake together. He says again, for emphasis, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. In other words, I won't celebrate Passover to the kingdom. We've already established that. Verse 19. And then he took bread, and we had given thanks. He broke it and gave it to them and said... This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, this is unleavened bread. This is not your, you know, loaf of bread that you buy at Martin's. This is unleavened bread, and he would break it and then distribute it to those that are celebrating the Passover with him. 
The Father would do this in a home. Now Jesus is doing it there with His children. Now let's, let's be clear about something. The breaking of this bread. What does this mean? Now do not forget that we know that the bones of Jesus were not break. John broken. John tells us that. Jesus' bones were not broken. The Roman soldier comes to break his bones and realizes that he is dead and instead pierces him with a sword. So what is he saying here in the breaking of this bread? Well, the only way that this bread can be distributed to the twelve that are sitting there with him is for him to break it and to pass it around the room. That's what this means. Jesus is speaking to our unity that we have as followers of Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's not because you go to church. It's not because you believe in God. That's not what it is. You have received the bread of life. Jesus said, in a shocking way, you've got to eat my flesh. Not speaking of communion. Not speaking of literally eating his flesh. But of receiving him as the bread of life. And what Jesus did here is he took that bread... And he said, every single one of you, you all need a piece. And passed it around. We see the unity that we have in the new covenant. We're all new covenant believers. If you have put your trust in Christ. And in a moment, we'll, well, towards the end of our service, we'll we'll go to the corners room, we'll get some bread, we'll come back here. It's not just a ritual that we say. Let's all partake together, okay? That's not just out of habit. It's signifying that you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a body. We are a family united in Christ with one another. This new covenant is costly. This bread that is broken and shared also speaks loud and clear about the substitutionary atonement of Christ. In order for us to have life, God had to die. So the righteous one, because there's only one, the righteous one died for the unrighteous. 1 Peter chapter 3. It's substitutionary atonement. People use this illustration. You've probably heard it before. But it's great. It works. Imagine you went to somebody in a hospital room. They had cancer. They're dying of cancer. And you walk up to them and you say, they have this amazing procedure they can do. They're going to take all the cancer cells out of you and put them in me. And they're going to take all the, the, the cells that don't have cancer that are in me and put them in you. We're going to trade cancer cells. I don't have any, and I take yours. Sharing the gospel with somebody. Share that story with them. And then ask them, what would happen to you if you gave me your cancer cells and I gave you mine? And they look at you and they scratch their head and they say, well, I guess I would live. And you say, that's right. Now, what would happen to me? And they say, well, I guess that means you would die. And that is a substitutionary atonement of Christ. Jesus came to earth, took on flesh, so that he could die. 
what love. But this worship experience doesn't end here. Let's go through the rest of it. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten. So this is the end of the meal. A great deal of time passed between the bread and the cup. You say, man, wouldn't it be cool to know what happened then? Like, wouldn't it be neat to be like a fly on the wall and to hear like what, J- what Jesus might have said? Wouldn't that be neat? Well, just turn your Bible to John chapter 13 and read the next three chapters of Scripture. We have the upper room discourse. We know what Jesus said. We know what he said during these times that Scripture doesn't record here what happened. John does. And we hear Jesus speaking of the helper that would come. We hear Jesus speaking of that we glorify God. We hear Jesus speaking of that He and the Father are one. We hear Jesus call us His friend in that passage. Beautiful. But after they'd eaten, He took the cup. He said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my Blood. Now, what, what's going on here? What's happening? Remember, we're looking at Jewish people who have been celebrating the Passover for thousands of years. And they've seen shed blood. And they know this truth. That without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so what Jesus here is driving at is, He will shed His blood. Now, understand, it's not so much about the blood as it is what the blood represents in the teaching of God. The blood is the life of an animal, of a human. That's why, in the book of Genesis, God said, you can eat animals, that's fine. Just don't drink the blood. That's the life of the animal. So God is trying to teach us that truth thousands of years ago. That the blood represents life. And so when Jesus spilled out his blood, he's spilling out his life. That doesn't end there. He really dies. But he really resurrects and brings us life. And that, folks, is the new covenant. I shall put this up on the screen. We're, we're low on time, but I want to show you... Um, no, I don't think I have it on the screen. Let me back up. It's on your worship notes. I want you to see what the new covenant is. You can turn there in your Bible. Go to Hebrews. You can see it there. You can see it in Jeremiah chapter 31. But turn your Bible to Hebrews. We've been there several times today. It's a great passage about our Lord. Hebrews chapter 8 is where I'm headed. And we see something described here, and we'll just have time to almost just read it. But I want you to see what the new covenant has brought us. What the new covenant has brought us. We are in Hebrews chapter 8, and I want to read from verse 6 through 11. 12, that is. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that as is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he meditates is better. 
since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. See, we're seeing that the old covenant didn't fulfill what God required. So we have a superior covenant, a superior relationship, a superior agreement, you might think of it as, with the Lord. And so now the writer of Hebrews is going to quote from Jeremiah and going to explain this promise that God made to the nation of Israel about a future agreement he would have. And what the Hebrew author shows us is, we have this in Christ. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Here it comes. This is the covenant that we are going to receive in the Spirit if we put our trust in Christ. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one as his neighbor and each one as his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. And I will remember their sins no more. The old covenant was inadequate. The new covenant was costly. And this is what it means for us. It means transformation. A new heart. A new spirit. It means relationship with God. I will be their God and they will be my people. It means a new knowledge of God. It means that we will all know Him. And you don't know God in a different way than you or you or me. We know Him because His Spirit is in us. And we are forgiven in Christ. This is the new covenant. And we celebrate it through communion. As we remember the body of Christ and remember the blood of Christ. So this morning, we're going to celebrate. Here's where I want your mind to go. As the, as the team comes up, lead us in worship. Here's where I want your minds to go. I want you to flash backward and flash forward. When we celebrate communion, our minds should flash backward to the cross of Christ. And we should think on the fact and remember the truth that God died for us. That Jesus took on flesh and died in our place and shed His blood for us that we might have life and be brought into covenant relationship with God. But our minds should also flash forward 
to the kingdom of God. Just like the Jewish people celebrated the Passover over and over and over, looking forward to the Passover lamb Jesus coming, we celebrate communion over and over and over. Looking forward to that day we will celebrate with Christ in the kingdom of God. I've asked the team to lead us in a song to direct our minds there. Let's start with prayer. Lord Jesus, we know you love us with an everlasting love, and that everlasting love goes into all eternity. We want to look forward to that time, Lord, we're with you. We want to celebrate that today as we remember what you did for us on the cross. Thank you for your love, Lord, for your grace. Amen.